Well, here we are again, Amanda, experiencing a strange sense of deja vu. I seem to recall that you and I were sat here this time last year recording a Brexit podcast, but about preparing for a no-deal exit. Indeed, we were. And this time we're in a different place, talking about a likely deal exit with a transition period. But let's get the formalities over and done with and introduce ourselves before we get much further. My name is Amanda Thomas and I'm a partner and head of the International Capital Markets Know-How and Training Team and I'm here today with Jen Creswell, counsel in the team. We're going to talk through current Brexit developments now that it looks like the UK is finally heading to the exit and into a transition period and what impact that might have on mainstream debt capital market issuance. And this has all come about, of course, as a result of the significant majority that the Conservatives secured in the December UK general election. Quite. That majority is key and means it is now likely that the UK will indeed leave the EU on the 31st of January. That is in not many days' time. Of course, there are still some things that have to happen. Notably, the withdrawal agreement must now be ratified and implemented. And when I talk about the withdrawal agreement, I mean the exit deal between the EU and UK, which was agreed at a political level on the 17th of October last year and sets the terms of the UK's departure from the EU. From a UK perspective, the legislation giving legal effect to the withdrawal agreement is proceeding through Parliament. Helped along, of course, by that significant Conservative majority. And what's the legislation called again, Jen? The snappily named European Union Withdrawal Agreement Bill. Can we call it the WAB? Yes, we can. (laughs) Anyway, it's expected to become law before the 31st of January this year without significant amendment. It does therefore rather look like the 31st of January will be exit day for the UK. But whilst we, we will have that day as exit day, you mentioned briefly, Amanda, the transition period. I did, and that's because part four of the withdrawal agreement provides that the UK's exit from the EU will be followed by a transition period, which will end on the 31st of December 2020. During the transition period, the UK will no longer be a member state of the EU, and that's important to remember, but it will be treated as such under union law. And union law will, during the transition period, be applicable to and in the UK, producing the same legal effects as it produces within the EU and its member states. This means that the UK will continue to participate in the single market, with free movement of people, goods, services and capital, but that will be as a result of the withdrawal agreement, rather than because you're still a member state of the EU. Jen, do you want to explain how the transition period is embedded in law on the UK side? Yes, okay. On the UK side, we already have a key Brexit statute, the European Union Withdrawal Act, I'll refer to it as the EUWA, and that became law in 2018. That will repeal the European Communities Act 1972 on exit day. And the European Communities Act is the thing which provides for EU law to have effect and supremacy in the UK. The Withdrawal Agreement Bill, the WAB, will amend our key Brexit statute to save the effect of the European Communities Act for the transition period, so enabling union law to continue to apply in the UK during that time. It will also ensure that existing EU-derived domestic legislation will continue to apply during the time. 
those saving provisions, protecting the application of the European Communities Act and so on, will of course then be repealed at the end of the transition period. Now we can deliberate a bit later about whether the end of the transition period on the 31st of December this year could be pushed out. But putting that to one side for now, it would seem to be business as usual during the transition period, Amanda. Yeah, in the main, I think that's right. I think, though, that during the transition period, contractual parties should consider clarifying in documentation that references to the European Union or to the EU and the European Economic Area or the EEA include the UK. And that's because, as we mentioned earlier, from exit day, technically the UK will no longer be a member of either the EU or the EEA, but will simply be treated as such as a result of the withdrawal agreement. And that's the approach we took in the Brexit transitional version of the ICMA selling restrictions and legends. That's right. So we held the pen on Brexit-related revisions to the ICMA selling restrictions and legends, and we produced both no-deal exit and transitional versions of these. So during the transition period, parties are going to want to consider revising their selling restrictions and legends in line with the ICMA transitional versions. And the continuing application of union law in the transition period and the treatment of the UK as if it were a member state, in effect, means that English law will not be treated as a third country law during that time. What this means is that in the mainstream debt security space, technically, parties don't need to include language catering for Article 55 of the Bank Recovery and Resolution Directive in relevant liabilities governed by English law. Perhaps we should take out our crystal balls and attempt to look a bit further into the future at this point. Jim, do you want to start by talking about the onshoring of EU law? Okay. So I talked earlier about the UK's key Brexit statute, the EUWA, and I mentioned it in the context of talking about the repeal and the saving of the European Communities Act. The EUWA will also make sure the UK has a functioning statute book outside of membership of the EU. In broad terms, it will do this by onshoring relevant provisions of EU law into domestic law. The WAB tweaks the EUWA so that the onshoring happens at the end of the transition period. As listeners may be aware, government departments have, in preparation for a no-deal exit, put in place a great many statutory instruments to fix, quote, deficiencies in the onshored EU law. So, for example, removing references to EU concepts such as passporting. These SIs fixing deficiencies were due to take effect on or prior to exit day, but will be deferred en masse by the WAB, so they come into force at the end of the transition period, unless provided otherwise, so 31st of December 2020. And just on that date for the end of the transition period, Jim, the withdrawal agreement between the EU and the UK says that transition period can be extended for up to one or two years. But in line with the UK government's public announcements following the general election, the WAB introduces a new provision which prohibits any Minister of the Crown from agreeing any extension to the transition period. So that seems fairly clear? Yes, it does in a way. But of course, during the transition period, the UK government will negotiate the terms of the future relationship with the EU. It does seem unlikely that the transition period will be extended, given the prohibition in the WAB and government announcements. I suppose as as negotiations progress, though, the policy of the government towards any extension may change before the beginning of this July, 
which is a key point in time as it's the time by when any extension must be approved under the terms of the withdrawal agreement. However, I think we have to remember that to give effect to any policy change on extension, Parliament would need to pass legislation to override the prohibition in the WAB. I think it would also be fair to say that negotiations on the future relationship could have an impact on the detail of the law that's onshored as well. We know, of course, that sitting alongside the withdrawal agreement is the political declaration setting out the framework for the future relationship. In that, the EU and the UK state that they should aim to deliver a level of liberalisation in trade and services well beyond the party's World Trade Organisation commitments and building on recent union free trade agreements. By the way, they also agree to start assessing equivalence with regard to each other after exit day. As listeners may know, equivalence is the framework under which each country can declare another's regulatory regime as equivalent. The EU and the UK have to conclude the assessment before the end of June this year. And because of these negotiations and considerations, a degree of uncertainty continues. So, whilst the political declaration sets out the direction of travel, it's not yet clear whether the UK government can agree a free trade agreement, often abbreviated to FTA, with the EU during the course of a short transition period, and it's not clear what exactly that agreement will look like and whether it will make any provision at all with regard to financial services. That's right. If the UK reaches the end of the transition period without an FTA covering financial services in place, then firstly, the onshoring of financial services related EU laws will take place and based around the statutory instruments originally prepared for a no-deal exit. And secondly, the points that people considered previously in respect of a no-deal exit in relation to debt securities will again become relevant. And I suppose the same will be true if there's an FTA that covers financial services in some respects, but on terms that are of limited use in the context of deals and documents for mainstream debt capital markets issuance. Yes. Of course, at this stage, it isn't possible to say with certainty that relevant aspects of financial services will be outside the scope of any free trade agreement that the UK and EU reach. But the exact body of law onshored at the end of the transition period will depend on the nature of any future relationship agreed. But it will also depend on things like any further EU legislation or changes to EU legislation or regimes which become applicable during the transition period and any changes in policy of the UK government which affects any of the onshoring legislation. So given everything we've just said, I think it's possible to see how it will be very difficult to future-proof documents reliably at this stage for the position after the transition period. The good news, though, is that things are likely to become clearer over the coming year. Once that July date for extension of the transition period has passed and we see how negotiations between the EU and the UK are progressing. That's probably a good point at which to end as we've covered pretty much everything we wanted to say. But just to quickly remind people, we have a previous publication called Preparing for a No-Deal Brexit, 10 points relevant to mainstream debt capital markets. And that might be helpful if anyone would like further information on the points relating to preparing for a No-Deal Brexit. As mentioned, those points may once again become relevant considerations at the end of the transition period, should there not be an FTA covering all aspects of financial services – more deja vu for everyone. 
That publication is available on the Brexit Law section of our website, along with other publications that may be helpful, including a recent one going into more detail on key provisions of the WAB. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now from Amanda and me.